My name is Wade. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I wasn't here the past few weeks because I was on vacation with my family. We were in Taiwan and uh, we came back uh, about a week and a half ago. And um, in Taiwan, we, were, we visited a, a church in Taipei. And last week, we visited our sister church in Hayward Risen. And it's so good to see what God is doing next door, a few miles from us, and also across the world. And uh, later you'll be hearing from um, Steve and Sehi, and uh, you'll, you'll meet their daughters as well. But uh, God is doing something. What we are a part of as a church is a tiny, tiny little bit of what God is doing. And it's our privilege to be a part of all that God is doing in the world. Um, it's been said that God is a missionary God, and He sends His people to bless the world, and that's, uh, that's what he's doing in Taipei and in Hayward and here in Castor Valley. Our text today is from John chapter 12, verse 44 through 50. I'm going to ask you to turn there in your bulletin or in your phone or Bible. Let's read this together. <clears throat> and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to the world to I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the word of God. So we're going through the Gospel of John right now, and our passage today, it contains the last public statement of Jesus. And soon he's going to retreat to his inner circle, and he's going to prepare for his trial and execution and this tech, the text today tells us that Jesus, he cries out. And the verb in the original Greek for crying out is ikratsin, which, which means that this is not just an emotional burst from Jesus, but this is an emphatic statement that Jesus, he makes with the utmost urgency. This is a final appeal from Jesus to his listeners to believe in him. Jesus doesn't, this isn't just an outburst. It's Jesus understanding the full weight of what he's saying. And it's a cry of mercy. It's a cry of grace from Jesus to receive what he offers because he wants his listeners to believe in him. So our passage begins with Jesus saying that everything he's said and done up to this point is actually from God the Father. That Jesus is speaking exactly what God the Father wants him to say, which means that in the person and ministry of Jesus, God has made himself known. So as Jesus says these final words in his public ministry, he's making this bold claim. He's saying that everything he says is with the authority of creator God, the God of the universe. He's saying that he is God manifest. So therefore, as we, as we look at the text, we have to understand what Jesus is saying. It's not simply enough to give assent to the existence of a deity. It's not enough just to say that I believe in God. 
It's only through the person of Jesus that we can know God. It's only through the person of Jesus that we can know reality. So this is his final public statement. And Jesus is saying, this is important. This is a matter of life and death. So Jesus speaks these words, and they're words that are left to unsettle his hearers. He wants to shake the listeners free from their stupor. They're meant to move them toward belief. They're meant to move them out of darkness into light. So we, we stated uh, months ago when we, when we began the, gospel ser- the series in the Gospel of John that the purpose of the Gospel of John is for its readers, its hearers to believe. And in today's passage, Jesus, he warns of the, un- of the dangers of unbelief. If you were here last week, you listened, you heard Pastor Michael's message on, uh, on why people don't believe. Why is it that even though we're presented with the gospel, even though we may see evidence, why do we not believe? And here Jesus is warning us, why do you have to believe? So we have three points to help us understand what Jesus is saying here. Number one, this is, there is the necessity of judgment. Number two, the problem of judgment. And finally, number three, the judgment bearer. And these are in your bulletin. So our first point, the necessity of judgment. Uh, 20 years ago, uh, the film Magnolia came out. This is a P.T. Anderson film. And um, like, I watched this when it came out, and I don't remember much of it. If, this is, if you've ever watched a P.T. Anderson movie, you know it's a little bit strange. Um, but one of my favorite scenes in all of cinema is from this movie. And in it, Tom Cruise, he plays this self-help guru named Frank Mackey. And he's confident. He seems to have everything under his control. People look up to him. He's kind of like the Tony Robbins of this fictional uh, world. And in this particular scene that sticks out to me, there's an interviewer sitting down with uh, this character, Mackie, and she's, she's asking him about this discrepancy in the story that he's built his career on. He hears a question, and he becomes silent. And he just stares at the interviewer with an ice-cold glare. He doesn't respond. And a few moments pass, and the interviewer goes, Frank, what are you doing? A few more moments of silence. He doesn't answer the question. Instead, he just hisses at her, I'm quietly judging you. This is one of my favorite scenes in all of cinema. You can go on YouTube. It's like a four-second clip. I love this scene because it's, 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 it says so much about the character. And when he says, I'm quietly judging you, this is sometimes what I think when I think of people being judgmental. This might be what we have in mind when we think of judgment, that someone is looking down on other people with condescension, with disapproval, wishing harm on them. This is what we think when we think of judgments. But this is not the Bible's understanding of judgments. So there are two aspects of judgment that I want us to consider as we think about this uh, very serious topic. So the first is this, the first aspect, that at its most basic, judgment is simply the evaluation of something. So in that sense, we all make judgments every day. After a reason and thoughtful consideration, we might say that one item is a better value than another item. Therefore, I'm going to buy that item. Or perhaps one opinion is superior to another. Or perhaps a situation is fair or unfair. 
an action is wise or unwise. And by making these determinations, by saying, this is better, this is preferable, we are all making judgments. So in this sense, we're all judges. We make judgments all the time. And when we speak of God's judgments on something or someone, we mean that he looks at a person or a thing or situation with a full understanding of the situation. And he makes a determination on that thing or person. God is making a judgment. The second aspect of judgment is the execution of it. To judge is to decide if something is right or wrong. This is what we all do. And then there is the execution of judgment, which is the making wrongs right. If, if something is crooked, it's making it straight. And those who do wrong will suffer the consequences of their action. This is the second aspect of judgment. There is the determination, and then there is the execution. So in, in this passage, Jesus, he speaks of a judgment. He says, this, this topic that, that we're so averse to, let me talk about it for a while. He speaks of a judgment of those, uh, that awaits those who reject him. Look at the first half of verse 48. He says, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. Now this is what Jesus is saying. He says, If you don't accept me, if you don't believe in me, you will be judged. As we continue on, the second half of verse 48 and into verse 49, Jesus, he explains the nature of the judgment. He he tells us who the judge will be. He says, The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Now, we might have trouble with this idea of judgment. Why does anyone need to be judged? Why can't God just let things be? Why must there be punishment? Why anger and wrath? Why can't God, why can't a God of love simply love and accept everyone? And if you've ever sp- had a conversation about God or the Christian faith, this, it's very likely that this topic, this subject comes up. There's so many objections to this idea of a judgmental God. Uh, there's this objection to this idea that a judgmental God is, this is backwards thinking. This instills an unhealthy fear in people. It's used by religious people, leaders like pastors to control other people. Have you ever heard that these objections? Now, I want to suggest that if this is your response, if this is the way you think, that maybe this is a response that's shaped by culture because we live in a very progressive society, especially here in the Bay Area. We live in a culture that values tolerance. We're told that we should accept all lifestyles, that we shouldn't contradict the opinions of others, that we shouldn't make definitive statements on what is right and what is wrong because to do that is to be judgmental. Now, this sounds appealing, this line of thought sounds appealing because we often equate unconditional acceptance with love. If you really love someone, then you should just let them be. Don't bother them, don't intrude on their life. But consider this, we cannot love good if we unconditionally accept everything that people do. 
Just look at your own life. Look at what happens around you. We've had a plethora of examples in recent years. You guys might remember the name Brock Turner. In 2016, Brock Turner, he was a Stanford student who was found guilty of rape. Um, Undeniable. uh, It was clear that he was guilty. And the judge gave him a six-month sentence for his crime. And the judge's reasoning was, here is a young man from a good family I don't want to ruin his life more than it already has been, so I'm going to give him a six-month sentence. If you follow the news at that time, you might remember the outrage. People who follow the case, they said, this not only has Brock Turner committed a horrible crime, but this judge is unjust. He's not giving a fair sentence to this offender. And people... They were judging the judge. They said that he was wrong in doing what he did by giving him such a short sentence. Another example, last year we were inundated with stories surrounding the Me Too movement. Countless countless women came forward with stories of sexual harassment and abuse by people, some names, Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, Larry Nassar, Many, many other well-known men, they were accused of these things. And what did the victims want? What did all the people following these stories want? They wanted justice. They wanted vindication for the offended. They wanted the men who did these things to be judged for what they did. Did anyone raise objections to this? And today, 2019... There are protests in Chile, in Iran, in Hong Kong, in Lebanon, in Colombia, and India. There are millions of people around the world, even at this very moment, protesting against the governments because they have determined that what the government has done and is doing now is wrong. And they're acting and speaking on behalf of millions of other people. They're saying that there is a right, there is a wrong, there are offenders, and there must be judgment on the things that are done. We all know that there are things that need to be righted, and in order for these things to be made right, we need judgment. So therefore, the desire for judgment is not at odds with love. If you love equity, if you love justice, if you love your family, if you love your neighbor, It's right for us to desire judgment on those who do harm to these things, to these people. So the question is not, will you be loving when it comes to judgment, but what and who will you love? We live in a world that is filled with such wrong. It's only right to love justice, to love judgment even. If we love someone, we must hate the things that harm that person. And God, who is love, he hates when his creation is harmed. He hates when his image in people is distorted. In the biblical story, he's given us a way to live. And when we don't live by the order that God has given us, there has to be a correction. God has to exercise judgment if he is to be a good and just God. So therefore, it's precisely because God is good and precisely because God is love that he must judge. He must make things right. 
Now, I hope you, you'll understand how the idea of God's judgments is a good thing. It's a necessary thing. And it's even a comforting thing. Because what does it mean for us? If you believe that God is a judge, a righteous judge, then you can live with confidence that all the wrong that you see in the world, even wrongs that are done to you, these are not unnoticed by God. That one day He will do something about it. Evildoers will be punished. There will be a reckoning for all who do wrong. So the idea of God's judgment, this is necessary because it provides a correction to all that we see wrong in the world. And it has to be a comfort for us as well. If, you, we, you ourselves, if we ourselves suffer injustice. So this is the first point. There is the necessity of judgment. And the second point, the problem of judgment. So we all want wrongdoers to be judged. If I were to give you three seconds, say, think of someone that you want to be judged. You would have no problem coming up with the name. We want wrongdoers to be judged, and the Bible says they will be because God is good. Have you ever considered that, the pro- that, that God's goodness is a problem? We talk about a God of love, a God of, good, of goodness. Here is a good God who loves you, and it sounds so sweet and comforting, but have you ever considered the fact that because God is good, this presents a huge problem for us? Earlier, I said that if God is good, he must judge. If you don't think that you're deserving of his judgment, then perhaps the truth of God's goodness won't bother you. But what if you are deserving of judgment? What if you are deserving of the judgment of God? Andy Crouch wrote an article last year, and this was um, some, a reflection on the Me Too movement. And this is what he wrote and, uh, from, from his article, and I think this speaks for all of us when he writes this. Andy Crouch saying this, If you knew the condition of my heart, my fantasies and grievances, my anxieties and my darkest thoughts, you would declare me a danger to myself and others. I cannot be entrusted with power by myself, certainly not with celebrity, and neither can you. You may not hear this in our culture today, but this is true. If someone were to cut us open, if they were to read every one of our thoughts, would you be proud of them? Or are there things that you would want to hide because you're so ashamed of the things that you think? If you're into Russian literature, listen to the words of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. These are words that he wrote while he was suffering in the Soviet gulag. Gradually, it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart. What Crouch and and Solzhenitsyn are saying is that if you think you're better than the people that deserve judgment for their wicked deeds, think again. Because you are not so different from other people. You're not so different from the people you see on the news. Given the right circumstances and opportunities, you may very well do the same things you condemn other people for. Have you ever thought of this? That this is not a room of people with good intentions all the time. This is not a room full of people that are always thinking the best. 
and wish good on other people. This is a room full of people with horrible thoughts. Given the right circumstance and opportunity, you would do things that would scare you, that would scare the person sitting next to you. It's not just that we have the potential to do bad things. It's that we've already done them. And the reality is we're just blind to the evil in our hearts or we're unwilling to admit that we have them. So Jesus, he has in mind a type of person in this passage. Verse 47, the person who hears the words of Jesus and does not keep them, he says, what is their condition? This person is in darkness. This person will be judged. So the problem of God's judgment is that we are under it. The problem of God's judgment is that I am under God's judgment. Now, this might be difficult to hear, but these are words that Jesus speaks from a heart of compassion and love. They're words of warning. And this is why Jesus cries out. He says, believe so that you don't have to stand under the judgment of God. Believe so that you don't have to stand under the judgment of God. Apart from Jesus, there is no escape. Listen to the words of Hebrews 4.13. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give accounts. In every single one of us is more sin and violence and blasphemy than you would ever dare to admit. And the passage I just read to you from Hebrews 4 All of it is laid bare before your Creator. Now these words are difficult to hear, but Jesus speaks them because He's merciful. And in His mercy, perhaps, He'll open our ears to hear these. Elsewhere in the Scriptures, we're told that Jesus will come again as a judge. In the book of Revelation, we're told that those who see Jesus on the throne would rather be crushed. On that, Jesus speaks of a last day in this passage. He says, on the last day, this is um, in Matthew, I'm sorry, in, in Revelation, we're told that those who see Jesus on the throne would rather be crushed by the mountains than face the wrath of the Lamb of God. Men and women who know that judgment is coming for them would rather be crushed by mountains than face the judgment of Jesus. And to be in the darkness that Jesus speaks of today in today's passage is to head closer and closer to that final judgment. But we don't have to be in darkness. Jesus is the light. And right now, he says, there is a way of escape. There is a way of escape. And this is a good news. This is our final point. Jesus, the judgment bearer. So, The judgment of God is necessary. The judgment of God is a problem for us. And Jesus points to the the reality of a judgment in this passage. And he himself, as I said earlier, he's going to come one day as a judge. Earlier in his public ministry, John 5 specifically, Jesus says that the Father has given him all authority to judge. So we know that Jesus, one day he's going to come again as a judge to make all things right again. 
But he says the time of judgment has not yet come. So where's the good news? Where's the good news in this? The good news is found in the shadows of our text. Verse 47 again. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. I have not come into the world to judge you. I've come to the world to save you. And this is what we celebrate this Christmas season. That a light has come into the darkness. That there is a Savior for sinners. And this is the good news. This is the gospel. That we've played the role of God in our own lives. We've lived by our own judgments rather than by the wisdom of God. And though we deserve the execution of judgments upon us, The Father sent Jesus to speak His Word, to do His will, and Jesus took the judgment that was meant for us upon Himself on the cross. He bore the punishment, He suffered the consequences of our sin gladly and in love so that we would not have to. There is such bad news in today's passage, but there is even better news. The light overcomes the darkness. Do you remember from John 1? The darkness has not overcome it. The good news is that we have a judgment bearer. I mentioned earlier that we're a confessional church and uh, one of the catechisms that um, I I read through sometimes, the, the Heidelberg Catechism, also question and answer formats. And this talks about this reality of God of Jesus returning as a judge one day. And the question goes like this. How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? What is the comfort in the judgment of God? The answer, in all distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and removed the whole curse from me Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. What is the good news? That the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place, he has removed the curse from me. I want to close with the words of Rachel Den Hollander. Uh, Rachel, I'm not sure if I'm accenting her last name correctly. Rachel Den Hollander, Den Hollander, she was one of the victims of Larry Nasser when she was on the U.S. gymnastics team. Uh, she was, uh, I, I believe, the first to file sex abuse charges against him. Um, and this led to more than 300 girls and women coming forward with their own stories of abuse from this one man, from Larry Nasser. And during the court proceedings, Rachel, she stood before the court and she gave a statement that detailed how evil and widespread Larry Nasser's acts were. And toward the end of her statement, she addressed her abuser directly. And this was broadcast on national television. You can find this on CNN. You see, I'm going to read this to you. Um, we don't hear this much. But let me read it to you. These are remarkable words by the victim speaking to her abuser. The Bible you carry and read carries a final judgment 
where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing, and that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found, and it will be there for you. The judgment of God is a terrible thing. The mercy of God, the love of Christ, this is an amazing thing. This is there for us, the same way it's there for Larry Nasser. Jesus has come to save us, not to judge us. This is true. Will you pray with me? Lord God, what an amazing thing it is that we can come before you with confidence, with boldness before the throne of grace. We do not deserve it, and yet you invite us as children because you love us, and you can love us only because of Christ, God. I pray that we would remember that is our hope, our only hope in life and in death. That the one who is going to judge was judged on our behalf, God. I pray that we would respond in repentance and in worship to this truth. In Jesus' name, amen.